Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hi friends, welcome back to our study in 1 Peter. Today we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. And if you're following along with our weekend services as well, you'll notice that we've caught up to where we are on the weekend services. We'll take the next few weeks, really the next three, to unpack these final few chapters. But we'll notice that they dominantly deal with one particular theme, and that is the theme of suffering. Peter has been building up to this moment. and In fact, we'll see in chapter 3, verse 8, that Peter's going to use the word finally. And, and we find that this theme is going to extend throughout these next few chapters. So as we dive into this study, we want to remember where we've been. Uh, Peter, in the first two chapters, really chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, worked to establish the identity of these believers that he's writing to. He wanted to know who they were in Christ, that they had a history, that they had a hope, that they were called to be holy. He wanted to remind them of who they were as God's people. And in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he encouraged them that now that they knew who they are, he encouraged them to live differently in the world around them. In fact, it's that passage that becomes a hinge in this particular letter. So look back at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and Peter calls them sojourners and exiles, and he calls them to abstain from some of the passions of the flesh and to, to live amongst the Gentiles in a way that causes them to stand out. He also says there that even when those same unbelievers speak evil against them, that they might see the good deeds of these believers. And that in that, that seeing of the good deeds, they might come to the place, especially when God sends Jesus back, when God visits us again, they might come to the place that they glorify God. This is what Peter is establishing as we walk through our text today. We are who we are in Christ. Our identity is established. We are outsiders, sojourners, exiles. We are not of this world. Our citizenship is with God. We are Christ's people. And because of that identity, this world will at times reject us. And so even beyond this hinge passage in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, last week we mentioned that we are called to live in an unbelieving world with three attributes. And those three attributes are trusting God, reflecting Jesus, and witnessing to the world. And, and Peter illustrated this through three different examples, three different relational circles. He mentioned that we are called to, to have these attributes as we live our lives out under human institutions, emperors and governors and the like. That we're called to have these three attributes as we live in relationships as servants to masters. And we said a parallel could be employees to employers. Not a direct parallel, but similar. We also said that sometimes we are called as believers to live in a family, that is made up of unbelievers. And, and whether that's marriage or, or an extended family, we're still called to have these three attributes. Trust God, reflect Jesus, and witness to those who are unbelievers. So Peter has used this hinge passage and then these three examples of how we're called to live to lead us to this particular moment and this particular passage that will now extend throughout the rest of the letter. The question is this, as God's people, how will we live when we are rejected, or when we are opposed, or when we're insulted, or when we're being made to suffer by the world that has rejected Jesus. 
we'll notice that we will again find these three attributes. We're still called to trust Jesus, uh, to, to trust God, to reflect Jesus. We're still called to witness to that unbelieving world. And so as we dive in, we want to look for these three attributes. And, and more importantly, we want to look for them in our lives. As we live our lives in this world around us, we want to ask, how am I called right now to trust in God? How am I called to reflect Jesus in the relationships I'm in now, the circumstances I'm in now? How am I called to be a witness to what I believe to the world around me who needs to know Jesus? So chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, Finally, all of you, there's our, our word, finally, for the rest of this letter, I'm going to be talking about this theme of suffering. Finally, all of you as exiles have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Notice what Peter's saying. Be like Jesus. Finally, all of you in this world, when you're going to face suffering and struggle, you're going to need one another. And so you're going to need to have unity. You're going to, you're going to need to have sympathy and, and brotherly love. We get our word Philadelphia from this word. You're going to need a tender heart. You're going to need a humble mind. We need the heart and the mind of Jesus as we live together in Christian community in this world that at times stands in opposition. Peter says, even when this world does stand in opposition, do not repay. I love this phrase. Because we live in a world that wants to repay everything. Even when it comes to my own kids as I raise them, I recognize this. That when someone hurts someone, the instant, the instant moment that they hurt them back is us recognizing the flesh that we live in in this world. This is our natural instinct in sin. But Peter says, don't repay. This is what it means to be God's people. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay insult or reviling for insult. Don't do those, but instead, you're to live as a contrary people. You're to live unique. People should know that you're not from here. Now, sometimes you know when people are not from around a certain place. They have an accent. They dress differently. Their customs are differently. We as God's people, and yes, we are from all different people groups and all different customs, but there is something that should mark us as different. And one of the things that should mark us as different is that when people insult us, when people do evil against us, Rather than repaying them evil for evil, reviling for reviling, or insult for insult, instead, we bless. That word bless comes from the, the phrase to speak good. The word is, is two uh, compounds put together that is to speak good. Now, I can speak good over those who speak good over me, but we're called to speak good even those who speak insults against us. That should mark us as God's people. It should remind us of Jesus, even on the cross, who cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He speaks blessing over those who are hurling insults at him, even in that particular moment. Peter says, for this is to what you're called. I mean, when you came and you accepted Jesus, you knew that this was part of the calling, that you came in response to the grace of Jesus. You didn't deserve it, but you received a blessing. You were not a people, and God says, you're my people. You were not righteous, and God says, I will declare you righteous. You were not lovely, and God says, you were loved. We are the people who live contrary. Peter says, you do this, not so that they will bless you, but so that you might obtain a blessing that is a blessing from God. That God might speak a blessing over you and speak good to you, even when the world speaks evil. This reminds us of two things that are true of our faith. And number one, it reminds us of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, when someone strikes you, I want you to turn the other cheek. Jesus says, when someone asks you, forces you to go one mile, I want you to go with them two miles. It reminds us of Jesus' teaching of grace. It reminds us of of God's promise to Abraham in the Old Testament, this promise of faith. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I want you in turn to go be a blessing to the nations. This is what God is calling us as a faithful, wandering people to be and to do. We are to trust God that he can use us to bless the nations. We are to, to reflect Jesus and his love and his grace. And that in turn is going to be a witness to the world around us. So Peter then breaks into a psalm. It's from Psalm 34 as we look at verses 10 through 12. Uh, Peter's already quoted from this. In chapter 2 verse 3, he quoted Psalm 34 saying, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, because we've tasted, because we've seen that the Lord is good, it should cause us to live differently. Because we know who he is, it causes us to live in a way that reflects that. And Peter says, quoting the psalm, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Unlike the world around us, in other words, let's live differently. Let us keep his lips from deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord. Why do we do this? For the eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous, and his ears are always open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, with this psalm, Peter reminds us of some principles that we need to remember. These principles of trust that come in the midst of difficulty or in the midst of suffering. The first principle that he teaches here is that God sees us when we suffer. It's a good reminder that even in the midst of suffering, when we feel like God has forsaken us, God has forgotten us. No, the eyes of the Lord are on those who are righteous. Even when the world turns against us, God is still for us. And so Peter reminds us, no, God sees us when we suffer. Peter goes on and he's going to teach us these other two principles. We can trust God that he will bless us even when we suffer. And we can trust God that he can use us even when we suffer. So notice these three attributes and these three principles. I know that might be confusing. Three attributes. Let's trust God. Let's reflect Jesus. Let's witness to the world. And now these three principles of that first attribute, trust. Here's the three principles. We can trust God that he sees us. We can trust God that he will bless us. And we can trust God that he will use us even in suffering. So Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? In other words, um, Peter says, like, what, what bad can they really do to you if you have God on your side? And I know some in the audience of, of Peter's audience might want to raise their hand and say, well, I could tell you who might harm me. They might have names. I mean, statewide, state-sponsored persecution doesn't appear to be dominant during this time, but it definitely is one of the things that Peter's audience is experiencing is persecution whether that be on the the honor level of insult, whether that be on the economic level of those who are reviling them and causing them to to lose their position or status, whether that be on the physical level. Persecution is a constant theme in this particular letter. And and so we could see kind of people wanting to raise their hand. Who is there to harm you? Well, I could tell you a few, but what's Peter saying? Well, even if they do, what harm can they really bring you if your faith is established in God, if you trust him, if your hope is established in him? Peter says, even if, I love that phrase, that is a faith statement, even if, even if this happens to me, even if someone insults me, even if there's economic hardship because of my faith and because of someone reacting against my faith and opposing my faith, 
Even if there's physical persecution, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Peter says, you will be, notice the futuristic phraseology of that, you will be blessed. This is a different word for blessing than we saw earlier to speak good. This word blessing is the same word that we find in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, blessed are you or blessed are those. At the end of the Beatitudes, what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he makes it more personal. Blessed are you when people persecute you, for your reward will be great in heaven. So, so Peter recognizes that even if others bring you harm, they can't bring you an ultimate harm that God can't turn around and bring to blessing. So this trust is we trust God that he sees us when we're suffering, when, we, when we, we are suffering. We trust that God will ultimately bring blessing to us even though we suffer. Later on, Peter's going to say in chapter 4, verse 14, even if you're insulted for the name of Christ, we're blessed. So the end of verse 14, Peter says, so have no fear. We don't have to be afraid. This is freeing. In fact, Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I love what Psalm 27 says. And when I experience the kind of fear that at times can bring paralysis or at times can shatter one's faith, Psalm 27 and in words like Peter's words here, have no fear of them, do not be troubled, remind me that I need a bigger view of God. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This psalm gives us a bigger picture of God, but it also challenges us that at times in the midst of our suffering, we're going to be called on to wait. And so God will bless us. We trust that God will bless us when we suffer, but it is at times in the future. And sometimes we can even see that blessing in the present. Here's the third principle we'll see of trust. We can trust that God will use us when we suffer as well. Notice what Peter says in verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So as for your motivations, let it be to honor Christ. Always be prepared in this world that opposes the gospel, that opposes Jesus and opposes his people, always be prepared to make a defense. This is a courtroom word. It's to be able to stand up and give a defense or an apology. We get our word apologetics from this word. To give an apology or a defense as to why we believe what we believe. Now, notice what this word goes on to say, or what this phrase goes on to say. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone. So it's not just the courtroom. It's also relational circles. It's those three we've seen, human institutions, governors, emperors, but also masters and, and servants, and also husbands and wives and families. So we could go into various circles, but Peter calls us to be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks us the reason or the logic for the hope that we have. Our hope should be such a distinguishing mark. In, in the same way that we don't repay evil for evil, our hope that we have in the midst of suffering should be such an identifying marker of God's people that it causes the world that does not have that same hope to look at us and ask the question, why? Why do you have the hope that you have? 
What's the reason for the hope that you have? And we need to be prepared to give an answer to that reason. We need to be prepared to come back to the resurrection of Jesus. And come back to say, if the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event, if Jesus rose from the dead, then it changes everything. If he rose from the dead, then his crucifixion was, was, a, was, was with purpose. And that he died for our sins, to forgive our sins. It was evidence that what he taught is true. It's evidence that who he said he was is who he says he was. It's evidence that we can believe in him, that we should follow him, because we too will one day die. And we can, because of his resurrection, trust in him that he has the power and the authority to forgive sins, but also to bring resurrection to us as well. We need to be ready to give the reasons, the logic for the hope that we have. And I believe the resurrection changes everything. And we need to be a resurrection people. But as we do make this defense, notice what Peter says. We do it with gentleness and respect. We do it with this reflection of Jesus. We do it with this attitude of humility and this attitude of love and fear of God. That's that word respect is fear again. We do this with the right motivations, a good conscience. We do this with purpose, so that even when we're slandered, even when we're reviled, they might see our good behavior in Christ and they might be brought to shame. We, we do this because, like Jesus, we recognize it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than it is for doing evil. We do this, like Jesus, verse, verse 18, because Jesus suffered for sins and he suffered for the unrighteous. And if by suffering... For the unrighteous, Jesus brought those of us who are unrighteous to him. If our suffering might possibly be used to bring other people to Jesus as well, won't we gladly suffer for them with the same kind of love that Jesus had for them and that he had for us when he suffered as well? What Peter's calling his people to do is to suffer with purpose and suffer with hope, recognizing, trusting that God sees them, trusting that God will bless them, but trusting that God can use even their suffering to witness to the world around them because of the way they reflect Jesus and trust him. So there's those three attributes. Trust God, reflect Jesus, so that we might be a witness. That's how we're going to be used, so that we might be a witness to the world around us. Now, from here, Peter transitions into kind of an odd illustration. This is not how we would typically um, argue our case in the Western world. But for Peter in the Jewish world, and especially the first century Jewish world, um, this makes quite a bit of sense for what Peter's doing here. Peter is going to anchor his argumentation into a faith history. He's done this before. We we said at the very beginning that he anchors this story, this letter, into four attributes or four uh, principles, orienting principles. And part of them are who is God, and the second one was history. The other two being hope, and the following one was holiness. Well, over and over again, Peter has referred to to the history of God's people, so Old Testament history. Here, he's going to use the story of Noah. Now, we might go, okay, why the story of Noah? Well, because for Peter, he saw parallels between what the people in Noah's day were going through and what Noah went through and what this body of believers are going through and what the world is like around them. What does he he see in parallel? Here's a few things. I would almost summarize it this way. Even when the entire world seems dark, God can save those who are faithful. The parallels are uncanny. What are the parallels? Well, the time before the flood was a time of darkness where it seemed like everyone had rebelled against God, where it seemed like everyone who rejected God, 
Do you, do you see how Peter's audience feel that way? As they look around the world around them, it seems like everyone has rejected God. They, they feel like they're few. Do you see the parallel? Noah, there's just eight of them. They're the only ones who believe. In fact, later on in chapter 4, Peter's going to just list out the, the way the Gentiles are living. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 3. They're living with sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. They are not even, they are, they're not even like hiding the fact they're against God. And they're surprised, Peter says, when you don't join them. Like when you live like an outsider, they're surprised that you don't just join them in this, notice what Peter calls it, this flood of debauchery. And then they malign you. And then they don't like you. And then they persecute you. So Peter says, they're going to need to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What's Peter saying in this section of text that comes after this illustration of Noah is that you're living in the same kind of day where, where people have rejected God and there is darkness and sin all around and yet God is faithful and he will save those who trust in him. And so here we have this story that is echoing up into this New Testament uh, period where Peter is writing to this audience and it echoes forward perhaps even to us today that God can save us even when the world around us seems dark and has completely rejected God. God is faithful. We can trust him and we can reflect Jesus and we can be a witness even in this world of darkness. So we see in verse 19, after Jesus' resurrection, he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited. Notice God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. There's some difficulties in this passage, and, and you can dive into them more deeply. If you have the opportunity, please email me, and we can correspond about it as well. To put it simply on video for us, probably the, the best argument that I have for who these spirits are and where Jesus went is these spirits are those who are in rejection or in rebellion to God. We find these spirits in the story of Noah, and apparently these spirits are having impact on the world in Peter's time as well. But when Jesus is risen from the dead, this proclamation is his victory over them. In fact, verse 22, I think, clarifies what we find in verse 19. Notice verse 22, Jesus has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Where did he go? I don't think he went into hell. I think he went to heaven. And this proclamation is not to give them a second chance. It's to bring judgment. He has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And he's with the angels and authorities and powers. And they have been subjected to him. So there's this parallel that Peter makes between the days of Noah and the days of rejection and the days of darkness and this day that is true for his audience today. And one of the parallels is that God is patient and he is wanting others to know the truth and ultimately to come to the truth. Verse 21, Peter says this, and baptism corresponds to this. In other words, Peter says, this is your story. This story of Noah and them being saved, a few of them saved through water, this is your story. You are called out of this dark world and through water, through baptism, you are saved. God has rescued you, not because of the water, not because of the removal of dirt from the body, but because of the, the appeal, the, the cry, the desire, the ask that you've made of God. The word there can be appeal or a pledge. Because of your request to God for a good conscience, because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not our doing, it's not just the, it's not the water. 
It's not just this act. It's because of this faith, this pledge, this allegiance we have. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 6 would say, it's because we're united with Jesus in baptism and his death and his resurrection. It's because of this, Peter says, this is your story. And it's because of this allegiance we have with Jesus that we have faith that he can, even in this dark time, bring us safely through these waters and bring us to this hope that we have in him. Peter says in verse 22, Jesus has gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God. And everything, even those in opposition to who he is in his kingdom, and even those in opposition to us, all of them are subject to him. This is a picture of the ultimate reality that Peter is calling his audience to recognize, is that ultimately this world is waiting for Christ's return and that Jesus will bring us safely home, that he will rescue his people. In the same way that Noah and his family had to wait on the ark for the ark to come safely ashore, we also wait to be rescued through this time of suffering. And that God is the God who rescues us out of suffering. It's because of that that we'll find in chapter 4 that because of this, we continue to trust God and reflect Jesus so that we might be a witness to the world around us. So as we wrap up this text and as we wrap up this particular study today, I want to encourage you to look ahead in chapter 4 and recognize how this argumentation is going to continue because he's going to describe for this particular audience the time that they're living in, that it is a time of darkness, that it's a time where others have rejected the gospel, rejected Jesus, and by extension has rejected them. But they are called to live in contrast. And in contrast, they are to continue to love one another. They continue to use their gifts to support one another. They're, content, they're, go, they're called to continue to glorify Jesus. And they're called to continue to recognize his dominion and his power and his glory. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.